Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Boston. There's too much to talk about today, so I won't go into a detailed description today. I'll, I'll save that for next episode. Just, I will say, it is waxed, it is shiny, and we're ready to hit the roads. With my co-pilot, the, the podfather, the great one, Doug Tonus. How you doing, bro? Uh, living a dream, Fred. Living a dream. <laughs> Good. I bet you're happy that I didn't go into an extensive description of our, our beloved bus. Yeah, I was just going to just not even mention it. I was just going to pretend it was a normal show that didn't have this weird fetish at the beginning of every episode. Well, I'll have to, I'll, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Next time I'll make sure I'll go into an extensive uh, waxing poetic about it. Well, we've now gone back and talked about it for the full minute and a half, so I think we're good. <laughs> okay, good. All right, well, a lot to talk about today. Big prospect breakdown today on two players, one of them who is beloved, it seems like, in the, with the fan base. A lot of people I've talked to really want to see the Bulls take this guy number four. And why don't we start out with that one, Denny A from Israel? Can you can you pronounce his full name for me, please? Oh God, I should have like looked that up like right before the show. It's a uh, what Denny Edvija? Uh, yeah, let's just call him Denny A for the purpose of this pod. Let's go with Denny. <laughs> Denny seems really easy. Yeah, like Madonna. <laughs> I, yeah, I think Denny sounds good, so we'll call him Denny. Uh, everybody knows who we're talking about. Obviously, a very talented young. Uh, player from Israel. Uh, did he play it all? In, and what I'm confused about is he's, I know he started playing in Israel. Did he play it all in the same league that Luka Dantich did? EuroLeague? Yeah, he played in EuroLeague. So, like, the way the way European basketball works is you have, like, a domestic league, and then you have, um, and then, like, the top domestic teams also play in EuroLeague. So, he, his team, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, played in, in EuroLeague and, and also was in the Israeli league. So, he's 6'9, 210. I'd say probably a small forward, potentially a power forward if he puts on some weight. Very interesting prospect. Uh, a lot of people like him. What's your take on Denny? So, I mean, I guess he's he's not Luca, <laughs> which I think yeah. is like the first thing everyone starts with. Yeah. Um, but but he, he is very, very accomplished for a European player. So he's also not like one of these guys who's coming over and has, has done you know very little. Um, he, I want to say he was the MVP of the Israeli league and, uh, God, did they just win the title? I forgot. I didn't really look into his like team accomplishments so much. I know he was, I think he was the MVP of the Israeli league though, just recently and was like the youngest MVP ever, or maybe it was like the finals MVP, something like that. But either way, he's, he's extremely accomplished like in that league. And then, you know, clearly, even though this Israeli league is not maybe the top league and he definitely performed better in the Israeli league than he did in Euro league where he also plays, um, with the same team. I, you know, it's it's still probably better than, you know, the D1 leagues. You know, their their three-point line is further back than the college three-point line. Um, you know, and you're playing against grown men, so, I, you know, his competition was definitely legit, and he was, you know, amongst the best players there. So I, I think in, he's a good Israel, prospect. In Israel, he was not amongst the best in Israel. players in the EuroLeague, though, right? I mean, we're all we'll yeah, admit no. that. I'd say I didn't see anything that really made him stand out compared to his competition. No, I don't think I don't think he was one of the best Euroleague players. Um, but you know he held his own there, and and there's actually very few draft prospects that really even play minutes in in Euroleague. Um, it's just it's just not that common that that guys that young are, are playing uh, at that at that level uh, with with any length of time. If you go through and look at the Euroleague stats of any guy who's come over. Um, Lucas are like far and away better than anyone else's, but like the second best guy is is, is still probably uh, as bad as Denny's are. So 
I wouldn't hold that against him in any way. His strengths, according to NBA Draft.net, playmaking, IQ, scoring potential, craftiness, and handle. Right, would you be excited if the Bulls took him at number four? Yeah, I'd be pretty excited. Um, you know, it's like his watching him. I think he he's a little bit one-handed right now. Um, his shot is a little bit of a question mark uh, in terms. He's 27% from three in EuroLeague. He was 38% in the Israeli league, and he was 41% after the bubble, or I don't know if they did a bubble, but after the, the COVID lockout uh, that ended the season in March, and then they came back in June and finished off the last like eight games. So he was like 41% in those those eight games after that. So but Yeah, that couldn't you know, have been shot, a statistically shot's significant a little, example. No, I mean, but none of his stats. I mean, his EuroLeague stats aren't statistically significant either. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's, it's not like a huge sample size of, of shooting. Um, and I don't think he's like a, a knockdown shooter. I guess we'll put it that way. But I mean, neither was Luca, right? Luca's, and he, even in the NBA, Luca's been around a thirty-two percent shooter, if my memory serves correctly, without looking it up. That's correct. Um, and and so you know, I think he's he's someone who's who shot will need to improve a little bit. But he's uh, he's tall. He's got great court vision. He's he's got you know, really good handles, uh, especially for a big guy. He's a, a solid defender. Uh, he's he's lanky. I, you know, I, I think he'll be a good player. You know, I think he's, I look at him like, uh, you know, Danilo Gallinari, I think is a, a good comparison. Like if you want to use someone and, and you don't want to go with Luca because it's, it's a little crazy. I think Gallinari is probably a, a reasonable upside comparison of a guy who is, uh, to me, similar, you know, pretty good ball handler, uh, tall, small forward, a little bit of a playmaker, you know, a good, a very good player, but not an amazing player. I mean, Gallinari also had quite a few injuries. Would have been interesting to see how he would have done if he stayed healthy his whole career. Well, yeah, I got to disagree with you on a Gallinari comparison because Gallinari is an elite shooter, and he's always been an elite shooter. He's fantastic at that aspect of the game, which will always translate. You know, my concerns around this kid is he, I, other video I've seen, I've been very disappointed in his shooting. I think it's awful. You know, he's still young. Obviously, there's a lot of room for improvement for there, and that was a concern that we both had with Luca. But, you know, the differences with Luca, I know, you know, Mark K from Australia act like I was down on Luca. I had Luca in the top six. I thought he was legitimately going to have a long NBA career because his vision just absolutely exploded off the screen. There were, there were passes that he had that I still remember today that I watched in EuroLeague, you know, cross the court bullets with one hand that were just amazing. And right in the guy's chest, I've seen nothing even remotely similar to on this video with this kid. I mean, he's had a couple nice, like, you know, smart, really quick passes in, in a short distance that were, you know, really crafty is the word I'd come to mind. And I do like his ball handling. But, you know, there's a lot of off the pick and roll. I saw a lot of instances where, you know, he had a guy behind him. And I thought that the option there was a, was a free throw line jumper that he refused to take. You know, he consistently wanted to pass it instead of being aggressive with the jumper. I think that had a lot to do with he – he doesn't have the confidence in his shooting that he needs. It's really hard to measure improvement in a jump shot. Uh, but, you know, it's clear he's below 60% from the free throw line with nobody guarding him. So, you know, there's a lot of red flags with this guy's game. I don't think he's a great defender. I haven't seen anything that I would – in fact, strength to me is a major issue with this kid. I saw a lot of video of him getting absolutely – just thrown around, um, and that's just not going to happen with Luca. I think Luke, if Luca didn't exist, if Luca didn't didn't have the year he has in the past two seasons, I don't think this guy would be talked about in the top ten. 
I think people now are going to consistently be looking for the next Luka, and he's got some absolute skills. I'm not saying he's not a skilled basketball player. I just don't think he's worthy of a number four overall pick. And uh, I, you know, if it, I, I'm not high on taking him at number four. I guess I would put it this way. No one we're going to take at number four is someone I would use the phrase worthy of a number four overall pick. You know, like, so drop that. This is a shitty draft class. So, yeah. you know, it's like the same complaint. I could say that about almost anyone mm-hmm. who's going to be there at four. So I, I, I don't think that's – and in a different draft, I don't know that he would be, you know, viewed as a, a top, you know, four candidate. But in this draft, I think he's – He's right there with the other guys. Like he's got different question marks. Uh, I think his playmaking. I think a little bit more of it than you do. I think a little bit more of his defense than you do. Um, but I, I think he's. I think he's really solid. A lot of skills. I think he'll be a very good player, but not, not necessarily an elite player. Um, what what yeah, do you, What do you see him playing? Like at the three or the four? Yeah, I, I think he's a three. I think he's a three. Maybe, maybe as he ages, he'll be a four. Like a lot of guys start as threes when they're when they're young and skinny, and then they, they put on the muscle and they <laughs> end up being small for us, um, especially the way the league is going. See, I, I felt like, you know, he's very skinny right now, but he's 6'9", and I think if he puts on muscle to a marketing size, he's a, he's a four. I think that's a better position for him because um, I think he's going to Defensively, it's easier, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be too – his lateral quickness is not great, and I think he's going to have issues with the faster threes. I, I saw – just a ton of blowbys, you know, for guys that he was guarding in, in, in the Euro League and in Israel. Like, what's going to happen when he plays the NBA threes? Like, the, you know, guys with real elite quickness. And he did have trouble with really good athletes, fast guys. So, um, you know, I think hopefully he'll put on the weight. In, in a base, best case scenario for this kid, he really improves his jumper and he starts hitting a three at a 35% rate, puts on weight, becomes a four. I think that's going to be very interesting to get become like a power forward, like a, a point forward type, you know, that play a game like Luca plays, a poor man's Luca game, where he's basically a power forward, handling the ball, being at the point guard position, handling the pick and roll. I think he could do that, but he's got to be a better threat from the outside in order to really, you know, become great, I think. You know, Luca's got what I didn't see about Luca, he does have that size. It's just amazing how big he is and strong he is. And this kid's nowhere near that, you know. Not to say he can't, you know, he's still very young. 19 years old, but, you know, I'll, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think you should start with anything with, I think we should just even not mention Luca while, while talking about him. I, I don't think he's, he's Luca. There's no point in, in discussing that. I mean, yeah, he could be the next LeBron James too, but we're not going to say that either. So, uh, it yeah. just doesn't make sense. I, I think he's, he's someone, his strengths are he's a decent ball handler, a little bit right dominant, and he has good court vision. He's got a good all around game, versatile, decent score, decent defender, you know, it's just whether he can really be elite at anything and how his game grows. And, you know, compared to some other guys, I think you're asking him to improve a little bit at a lot of things. And a lot of other guys, you're you're asking them to prove a whole ton at, like, one thing, and then they rely on a few other things they're good at. And that, that makes him a little bit differentiated from some of these other other prospects. And, and where he might just fall out of the league is if it's just like, yeah, he's, he's pretty good at everything, but not good enough at anything. You know, and, and these other guys who are like maybe, you know, really great at one thing, they can always be a role player with that one skill. And I, like, I don't know that he has one skill he's going to fall back on. Like, either the whole thing's going to translate and he's going to be, I think, really good or he's just going to kind of be pretty worthless. Yeah, agreed. Let's go on to the next prospect, which is I've seen in most, in mo- most mock drafts, top seven. And I'm going to have a, I call him double O, but I'm going to have a hard time with his name too. 
Onika Okangwu, is that correct, or how would you pronounce it? I think I think, I think it's Onika Okangwu. Okay, so I'll call him Double O. What What do you think about he's six nine? <laughs> That's the level of professionalism we bring here. We didn't even <laughs> check before the show how to pronounce anyone's name. <laughs> That's part of the magic of the bus. I think we would all agree. Uh, very interesting tape on him that I watched quite quite a bit over the last few days. Um, love to get your perspective on the six nine two thirty five power forward center. 19 years old out of USC will be 20 on, uh, I think, sometime in December. What say you? I, I don't know why you would consider drafting him. Like, I, I just like, what does he do for you that Daniel Gafford doesn't do for you? And, like, do you really need two Gaffords on your team? Like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the center being kind of a, a less valuable position. And so this is another guy. He's, he's He can't shoot, so he's, he's not going to – He's not going to play the four, and he's not. And, and maybe with his athleticism, you know, he has the size to to be a. He's either like a small center, or he's he's a, like a four that can't shoot. Maybe kind of a little bit like Wendell Carter. But like I just don't see what he what he gives you there. Like yeah, I, yep, he's athletic. He's a great defender, and um, you know he dunks everything. And he's actually got good touch around the basket when he's not dunking. A little bit of a post game that is is like useless in the NBA. I just, I just don't know what he's going to do besides be a rim roller, and I, I just don't know that we need to draft that when we've got, you know, Carter and Gafford on the team already. Like it's not, uh, it's not like loading up on wings where if you had five of them, it'd still be okay. I, I just don't think we need another guy like this. Yeah, you made a great point. Uh, you know, I, I was a little bit more impressed with his uh, shot blocking. You know, uh, rebounding. I thought he he did pretty well. He's got some great athleticism. I think for a nineteen year old, like. If he really kills it and, and works hard and, and really works on his shot, I, I could see tremendous value um, and potentially him being a you know, very good player in this league. But he can't sh- – right now, I'm saying as of today, he can't shoot and he can't pass. That's a real hor- horrible combo uh, for, the, for the league. Um, but I did like him in a lot of pick-and-roll action. I thought, I thought his low post game was actually – not bad at all. I actually liked it, and I could see him potentially on pick and rolls taking advantage of people either rim running at the in you know dunking it or getting a smaller guy on him, getting the ball in the post and taking advantage of him there. I know there's you know far less of that in today's NBA than it was in the past. I agree overall. He's a guy I would not take at four, uh, just because yeah, that's a great comparison. You know, Daniel Gafford, what does he do considerably better than Daniel Gafford? I can't really think of a lot. He's probably, probably got a better low he's post. He's probably game. a better shooter. He's a better shooter than Gafford. Yeah, he's a seventy I mean, percent free. Not a great shoot. shooter, but I think right. I think he's at least got a little bit of a mid range game. I mean, I don't think Gafford has any jumper at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe uh, probably I agree with you. Probably a little bit more refined in the post, but I mean, you know, in college playing against all these small guys and like mismatches, and and we both know post play is not really a a huge thing in the NBA that you'd care about either. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I think he's, I think he's solid. I think he'll be a player. Like, I think he'll be decent. I just don't see what makes me take him. Like he's, he's you know, and, and maybe that's not fair because like at the same time, and I don't know if we talked about James Wiseman. Did we, did we chat about Wiseman? We did. Wonder, Wiseman you know, was like, one of the guys we went through for who I'm not high on at all, but it's more yeah, focused on the position. And I like Wiseman. I like yeah. Wiseman and, the reason I like Wiseman is I, I, I say, wow, this guy is like legit size to be a center, has all the skills a center needs, 
Um, you know, he looks like he'll be a great center in the league. Like, I mean, like a above average starting center for sure, maybe a star center. And I agree with you, center is not that valuable. Like, if I could have a star at any position in the league, center would be the last position I would choose. But, you know, it's like, at least I, I, there's like nothing that like I would say about him that is like, wow, to be a center in the league, you're missing this. Like, he has everything he needs to be a star center. Like, he's not lacking anything. You don't need a jumper to be a star center. He's got everything he needs already. And, you know, so in, in some degrees, like, I, th- I think uh, Anika is the same way. Like, I, I think he's he's got, like, you know, the, the pieces he needs. The only thing is, it's like, I'm not sure he's a center because he's 6'9", yes. uh, you know, whereas yeah. Wiseman is, is seven. Uh, so as, as a power forward, it's just a little bit more dicey because I think you need to shoot uh, to be a power forward. And so... You know, if he can if he can just play a center, I think he's okay. But his his lack of being seven feet tall and you know just doesn't make him quite the upside type center that I think Wiseman could be, where he could be you know like Embiid or someone who just people just don't have guys to match up with seven foot tall athletic beast players, and you know people do have guys that can match up with six foot nine guys like that, and that's that's the only thing is like at power forward I'm. I think he'll be fine. I think he's going to have a good good role in the league, but I, I'm not uh, not thrilled by him. Agree, hundred percent. You know, it actually came to mind watching his game tape based on the the aggressive shot blocks, a lot of like highlight shot blocks that he had, and his gambling and biting on fakes was uh, Tyrus Thomas. The biggest issue with Tyrus Thomas is he just had no desire to be great, and he, I, didn't, I thought he didn't. I didn't think he played hard most of the time. Um, and so I thought this kid kind of reminded me a little bit of that with a lot of the shot blocks, which were all very impressive. I mean, he definitely has some defensive ability, right? Like, I think he could be a yeah. good good player on that side of the ball. But, uh, again, you know, I always come down to, is can you see this guy on the court in the last five minutes of, of a game in the modern NBA? I just don't see these guys, these types of players, on the court that much, right? That are, you know, they're usually going small more often with, you know, skilled players, all six, seven, who have some type of skill. And, I think uh, every team's going to throw a rim runner on the court, though. Like, everyone's going to have a center who can just go up for a lob and dunk the shit out of it. Yeah. Or get you offensive rebound, you know, somewhat. So I think you're going to have one guy like that and four shooters. Like, that's, I think, the kind of the closing lineup most teams are going to go with. And so he could be that guy on, on a team, I think. Um, like I said, we got two guys like that, and I'm not sure he's better than either of them. I did, you know, we were going back and forth, though, about Wiseman. I was curious about this, and you get a chance to answer it on Twitter. But I saw you said Wiseman has the ability to be a top-five center in the league, and it started to get me thinking, like, who are the top-five centers in the NBA? Does Draymond Green count as a center? Like, who are they? Yeah, I mean, it's and, – and I, I just threw out a random number. You know, like, it's not like I was, like, counting them and saying he could be in here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, like, his upside is to be someone like Joel Embiid, though. Yeah, Let me put it that way. Yeah, like it's or, like a star, all-star type center. I use the phrase top five. There probably aren't five real all-star type centers in the league right well, now. N- but. N- Vucevic at the, for the Magic is definitely one of them. I would say, you know, he's an, he's an all-star type of player. But that's so that's like the second or third best play at the center position. Well, Embiid and Jokic are the the top two, right? Yep. Yep. Anthony Davis, if you count him as a center, even though he loves to be a power forward. Um, Stephen Adams. I don't think, yeah. I mean, but you're right. Vucevic uh, actually just being on the list, and I, it probably is, you know, probably strikes me. I feel like I feel like we have to be forgetting someone just Brooke because Lopez? Is so bad. Brooke Lopez, maybe. <laughs> I, it, uh, it, the list Bam, is so. Sp- oh, Bam, yeah. But again, like Bam. Bam's another example of a guy who's 
almost like to me like a power forward playing the center position. He handles the ball really well. I guess he's a modern center, right? But you would never seen him. Bam's what six nine, six ten? Can't be seven feet. I, no way. I think there's always I think there's always been like I think this people feel like the center position is like seven feet tall on average, and that's never really been true. I think it's always been like six ten. And mm. it's just there's the dominant center might be seven feet, but people people like think the center has always been bigger than it was. Yeah. I don't think it's been as, as oh, big as people think it is. I just thought of one too. Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is up there. I love his game. Uh, Gobert. Gobert is another one I hadn't thought Gobert. of. Um, yeah, so it's Jokic, Embiid, Gobert, uh, Vucevic, Towns, probably, man, Steve Adams, Miles Turner. God, I'm just going through my head. That's about it, man. The position sucks. There's not a lot of great players at the center position. Yeah, I, and I, like I said, I'm not going to even say, like, ignoring what number he could be, I think he could be a star caliber center. Yeah. Like, when I look at him, I'm like, he could easily be, out of the guys we just named, I could easily see him passing, I think, all of those guys except for Embiid and Jokic. Yes. I mean, like, the rest of those guys, I think, like, yeah, I could see how he could be better than these guys. You're talking about like, Wiseman. Pretty- Right, Wiseman. Wiseman, yep. yeah, Wiseman. Agreed. I'm not saying he will, but I mean, like, he might not. But I'm just saying, like, it, it, like, it's not crazy for me to say, like, yeah, he could be the third best center in the league in like two to three years. Yeah, yeah, you know, so, and and I just think, like, if he's there, I would take him. Like, I, I just, I feel there's like so little, so little, in terms of holes with him relative to these other guys. Granted, we also saw so little of him that it's hard to hard to say. So if Wiseman so or Denny say. Denny A are both there at four, who do you, who are you taking? I'd take Wiseman. Interesting. Okay. I think Wiseman, like Edwards is probably my number one, and Wiseman is my number two. And after that, it's a, a giant question mark for me. So. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of, did you get a chance to see any of Billy Donovan's press conference or at least the notes on it over the course of the past week? Um, I did. In fact, I did a whole podcast just oh, great. down. Fantastic. Press conferences, so and just, for you. And just for I, – I do want to read one thing uh, from it, just for anyone who hasn't heard your pod yet on, on Bulls Beat, and please check that out. I don't, and I don't think I even mentioned this one thing. I, I, I didn't find it as – maybe I did a little bit. Anyway, go ahead. So he said – and this is a quote from the, from the conference, or it might have been from a quote from a previous conference. I can't recall, but analytics is a tool. And there are players, and I had one last year, Chris Paul, maybe as good as there is playing in the mid-range. And I think it all comes down to the confidence of a player, right? So if you've got a team that maybe is not great, uh, not a great three-point shooting team, or you have some players that like playing in the mid-range, I had Carmelo doing that, Paul George. Those guys were elite offensive players their entire careers. So you don't want to take away what's made them who they are, end quote. And he goes on to talk a little bit about analytics as a tool. And, just, you know, big picture, I really enjoyed his comments because I took it to mean that this guy is going to look at his team and determine what they do best and develop or a system or an offense around his talent instead of making his talent adapt to his system. Did you take that from his press conference? So I, I don't know, like, absolutely, overall, yes. I don't know if you want to discuss this quote in particular, which about analytics, and I think, cause I think it's interesting. You know I'm an analytics guy. So, yes, yeah. Um, as you could guess, I might not entirely agree with Billy Donovan on this topic. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Let's but, hear your but, comment. I mean, I kind of, I kind of do. Like, so, so he's absolutely right. You don't want to take away things that people are are good at, you know, and you want them to to be where they're comfortable. But like, you can like really measure like 
you know, which shot is a good shot and which shot's a bad shot. Absolutely. It's and, way up and three so points. People, when people say remove the mid-range game, and he mentioned, I think, in this quote, like, you know, I want guys to be able to take 15-foot jumpers or whatever. No one, when they say that, is saying don't take a 15-foot jumper. A 15-foot jumper is close enough that most, you know, NBA players who are decent jump shooters, like, probably clock that at, like, 60%, you know, if they're reasonably open. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly when you're under duress, you just take whatever shot you can get, right? Yeah. And at the end of a shot clock or whatever. What people say when they say remove the mid-range jumper is they're saying like, you know, the NBA line is 23 feet out. Don't take one from 21, 22, 20. You know, like get in, if you're going to take a, a two, you know, you got to get into like, you know, 18 feet or so. And then like now you're, you're closer enough and your, your chance of hitting that shot is high enough to make up maybe, not really, it, it, even then it doesn't. But it, it becomes at least close enough that it's comparable to saying like, yeah, this shot is not a terrible shot. And, and then it keeps the defense off balance enough that you're willing to take this shot that, you know, they can't just sit in this one, one area and then it, and you can still create their space. What we're really saying is don't take shots like just inside the three-point line. You know, that shot, you're not actually creating any space by taking that shot versus taking the three. Uh, you're just taking a shot that is, is similar level of difficulty and worth 50% less points. And it's just like it's like a stupid, stupid shot to take. I should say 33 less points would be 50% more points. That's so weird the way math works that way. Um, so that's the shot people are saying. So I, I'm, I'm on board if you want to say you want guys to take mid-range jumpers. If they're in that 15 to 8 foot, 18 foot range or you know, 12 to 18 foot range, you know, I think there's a place for that shot because even the analytics would say there's a place for that shot. You start trying to take 20 foot jumpers, I think that's a, that's a really bad shot. You, you pretty much do want zero of those shots in your offense. You know, I'd counter, though, I think what happens is in the last five minutes of games, teams really, it's, there's no doubt this is true because you see it reflected in the stats of shooting percentage. Teams in, in, increase the defensive intensity. For whatever reason, that's what happens in, in the last five Absolutely. minutes of every game. And I think far too many teams still stick to the playbook, even against good defensive teams that are going to say, you know what, we're going to contest every three. And we're going to take that away from you if at all possible. We want you shooting mid-range jumpers instead of threes and layups. That's a, you know that's generally Milwaukee's mantra, right? Or I, I take that back. I think they're one of the few teams that will say take as many threes as you want. Regardless, I'm getting caught off on a tangent. I think in the last five minutes of games, and that's why I think Oklahoma City had such a tremendous amount of success is because teams are going to want you to take that mid-range jumper. Well, I think a wide-open mid-range jumper in the last five minutes of a game sometimes is a lot better than a contested three or a contested layup. And I think the, the shots, the sometimes the percentages will reflect that. you got to take what the defense gives you if it's an elite defense. And there's too much for the Bulls, who were just horrific down the stretch of some games. A lot I thought they were falling into that trap as it's either threes, a layup, or, or nothing. And, you know, Donovan kind of went on to talk about it too, you know, like what we need if we're going to be a three-point shooting team. You have to counter that by, number one, rebounding the ball very well. Number two, getting in the free throw line, which the Bulls didn't do either of those well. So they shot a lot of threes, and they didn't do the other things that you need to do if you're going to be that team. I, I think it's I, more I believe, important to do it. I believe he actually team. mentioned you need to rebound well if you're not shooting a lot of threes to make up for the lack of efficiency that you have on these two-point shots. You need to get more offensive rebounds to well, like make uh, up the difference. The actual quote, and, I'll read the quote here real quick. But one of the things that you have to do to offset a lot of, three point, a lot of those three-point shots that are, that are going up is you can't turn the ball over. You've got to rebound really, really well, 
and you've got to be able to get to the free throw line. Those were three things he specifically mentioned. All interesting, and the, just, the guy's clearly an intellectual thinker about the game as opposed to our previous yeah. guy. Let's be honest. And, and, and I agree with you in the sense of like, hey, look, if I'm talking about a wide-open two versus a contested three, yeah, I'll take the wide-open anything with an NBA player shooting the ball. Like, for sure. I, but going back to my point, you're not going to get a wide-open 22-footer uh, or a 21-footer if you can't get an open three. Yes. And good passing teams and good driving teams can generate wide-open threes even against elite defenses because you still have to collapse on the paint. Now, obviously, you need good shooters and obviously you need good penetrators uh, in order to do that, and you got to take the best shots you can get. I, I think there's a lot of room for the mid-range game. I just think it's like you want that space to be in the the 10 to 16, 18-foot range uh, because that's a different position on the floor, right? you got guys around the three-point line. That's one position. You could put a guy kind of in like 12 feet from the basket. That's another, and then you have guys trying to get to the basket on cuts and whatever, and that's another position. So that's kind of like segregating you into like three different areas. It's the, the long twos are the ones that people are trying to get rid of, not the mid-range game. And I think that's a misconception when people get against analytics. They're like, oh, we don't want anyone taking two-point shot, two-point jumpers. No, we don't want people taking a jumper where they're six inches further back. It would have been worth one more point. Yeah. That's just a really the bad decision. Special. And, yeah. and so many of those jumpers, guys taking like that, are like fadeaway shots. Like up until a few years ago, it was super common to see star players, Carmelo Anthony being like one of the prime examples, Kobe who was just Bryant. making his career shooting uh, like 22-foot fadeaway twos. And, you know, he was a good scorer, but he was not a super efficient scorer. Now, someone like Kobe, who you just mentioned, Kobe actually got close to the basket. I mean, like he was more like Jordan. Jordan also shot a lot of mid-range shots, especially towards the end of his career. But when Jordan was shooting him, he was also around like that 18-foot range. Jordan wasn't usually one step inside the three-point line trying to shoot turnaround twos. That's correct. And that's, he was shooting that's the fadeaways from the post. He was, he was getting, especially in the second part of his career, he's getting the ball in the block and doing a fadeaway. So it's yeah, a that, lot different. That shot, I think, still has a place. You know, I agree with that. Yeah. That shot has a place. It's, you know, it's that's hard like to Kawhi defend. Leonard's special, too. Yeah. You know, Kawhi's, Kawhi makes his whole living off that like, 16, 18-foot jumper. And Derrick Rose, early in his career, was very similar to that, too. He made his living off of mid-range jumpers, but they were close mid-range jumpers. So that, those shots, I think, are good shots still. It's the, like I said, it's when you get like 20 feet out, 20, 20 feet to, between there and the three-point line, that's kind of, to me, like the dead zone. You don't want to be shooting from there. That, that's almost always a bad choice. Now, if it's wide open versus contested, yeah, you can fire one up. Like if you get it, but now instead of like a guy you pump fake him and like taking one step in and shooting, People are smarter. You pump fake them, you get them to blow by you, and then you take one step sideways and you shoot the three, and that's an even better shot and still wide open. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, listening to the, what I, or reading what I, what he said in the press conference, it just kept on going through my head. This guy's not going to put Wendell Carter Jr. with his back to the basket in the, in the, in the low post. He's not going to ask guys to do things that they can't do. I think Chris Dunn, days of shooting three-pointers are probably over. You know, we're, we're just not going to see – Guys do stuff that they can't do and are asked to do that they're just not doing at a high degree of you know of, of success with a high degree of success. Did you feel that way? Number one and number two, more importantly, what players on this current roster do you think are going to be helped considerably by the new approach that Donovan has to say, "I want to know what you do well, and we're going to adapt you know more of an offense around you." 
So you can only adapt your offense around so many guys, right? Sure. I mean, like, there's going to be guys who are going to have to to fit in and do things they're not perfect at. You know, you can't just have everyone doing their specialty because we don't have enough guys who are enough have enough skill in offense to have any type of offense if we we limit guys. So you, I, I still think you're going to see Dunn shoot some threes, probably not as many. I think you're going to see Lowry move a lot more and uh, drive to the basket and have the ball in his hands and, and operate. Um, you know, taking guys off the dribble a little bit more. I think that's something he's good at that we didn't see as much last year. And I think that was, you know, maybe part of the reason we saw him decline a, a little bit. Uh, health was also a reason. And, and maybe he just, you know, whatever, had his own issues. Uh, so I, I think Lowry's the guy we hope uh, has the biggest step forward, you know, because of this. Uh, I, and I absolutely agree. I, th- I think he is going to, uh, you know, try and fit the offense to the team, fit the fit everything to the players uh, make the players grow. I, I, everything screams player development about this guy, right? Just screams he's going to be a great communicator, that the players are going to love him, that he's still going to be demanding, but he's going to manage those relationships well while still asking a lot out of his guys. Like everything about him that you read from anyone who's ever talked to him will say that. So I, I'm I'm pretty excited about him. You know, You know, I don't think coaches make a huge difference, but I think – Boylan was maybe bad enough that this will be an exception. I'm trying to come around to, to that viewpoint that maybe Boylan was just so awful. And and we heard Boylan, and this was back at the initial Bulls practice we attended last year, we heard Boylan come out and say, like, yeah, I'm not going to run a very complicated system. These guys, you know, they're all young guys. They can't do it. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to I'm trim this down a lot. It's, gonna, it's not, you know, like I could put in something like the Spurs Ram, but they had like a ton of veteran guys who played together, and we don't, and they, these guys can't handle that. And, you know, whether he simplified it too much, whether the guys were just too stupid to pick things up, I don't know. But, like, you know, our offensive system was, was not very complicated. It was not very difficult to stop. And a lot of guys were caught doing things they, they in the end, didn't end up being very good at. And I do think we will see improvement there with Billy Donovan at the helm. DT, it was great chat, chatting with you again on as we pulled this big red bus into the garage. Um, are you feeling a lot more ex- excited about the future of the York? Obviously, you must be, right? Everyone is. But do you feel that this addition of Billy Donovan is going to yield a playoff team next year, assuming the roster stays the same with, obviously, whoever we pick up at number four and we don't make any big trades? Do you feel like the core four and the growth that hopefully we'll witness from Wendell Carter Jr., Laurie Markin, and Kobe White especially is going to yield a playoff team? I think if you could have healthy Otto Porter and you don't have any other major injuries, like so say Zach misses 10 games and Larry misses 10 games and whoever misses 10 games here or there, but you don't have guys missing like Porter missed almost the whole season and, you know, like Dunn and then Gafford and Carter and like, all these guys went out. Like, you know, if you can have relative health, then I thought the Bulls would have had a, a very excellent chance of making the postseason even last year, except if we had relative health. So I think this year there's the opportunity for it. Uh, certainly the guys should generally be a little bit better as players tend to get better when they're as young as our players are. We'll be adding a, a high draft pick. And even though it's not a great draft, you, you'd hope you'd at least get a rotation caliber player out of that pick. So yeah, I think, I think they, uh, they'll have a chance to, to compete for that spot again. You know, I don't know if I'm going to, Say over under, they'll make it. Yeah, I think it'll really come down to whether they can stay healthy or not. But if they're healthy, I think they have an excellent chance. I agree too. So it's going to be interesting, and I kind of believe based on the comments I've seen from Arturis and Billy Donovan. I don't think Billy Donovan would be here if he didn't believe that this team was was much better than their record indicates. Uh, I kind of believe that they kind of feel the same way. They're they're likely going to you know go forward next year at least with. The core four. I don't expect them to make any big trade trades 
and then we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll be a playoff team, and we'll see what kind of noise we can make in the free agency period of 2021. Do you agree? Yeah. I, one other thing, if you got a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just tie back to, you said, you know, be more confident about the, the org. Uh, the Bulls added a couple player uh, development associ- um, coordinators, I think was the official title, in Ty Abbott and Ronnie Burrell, and they added another European scout in uh, Vanja, I'm going to hack her name, Vanja Cernovich. Okay. And you know, she's she was uh, someone who, who worked for the NBA office. She was like the director of basketball operations in Spain, um, was a former European uh, basketball uh, player in the women's league over there. You know, very, very experienced. First female Bulls scout, also also uh, good there. Uh, two more minority hires, I guess, on the the both uh, both African Americans for the uh, player development coordinator. So the Bulls definitely seem to be expanding in that direction uh, considerably. But I just thought it was nice. You got you added two more people to your player development staff. You had another European scout. It just shows that the organization overall is having a larger build out. That was something when. Uh, Arturis Konisovats came in that they said they're going to do was build out the organization like a professional organization. And I think you're seeing that one of the things I've always thought makes sense is, you know, you've got what 15 players on your roster. Why do you not have like an individual development coach for like each of these guys just to run them through drills to do whatever. Like there's no reason not to hire these guys are like 150 grand a year. You're, you're putting like 130 million into your roster, you know, add $2 million to have like an elite staff of like development guys just, you know, doing whatever, working. Uh, each guy has his own full-time personal trainer, chef, whatever. Um, and and the Bulls are kind of moving in that direction, maybe not quite to that extreme, and maybe that would just be too many cooks in the kitchen if you did it. But uh, they they are moving in that direction of of adding a much more uh, comprehensive staff in all their areas. So I thought that was great to see that uh, we're we're hiring uh, you know more people to handle these types of roles and having you know a larger support staff around our players. Absolutely great to see, especially in this era with so much economic uncertainty uh, as far as the revenue coming in next year. It's a whole new era, man. It's just unbelievable what they've done just in the hire of Billy Donovan and what you just uh, you know illustrated with, with, with the moves that, and, and adding these uh, player development reps, um, coordinators, uh, really illustrates. It's, it's great to see. And I think uh, brighter days are ahead for us and the Big Red Bus. All right, my man. All right. Have a great week. I look forward to next weekend when touching base on – Two more new prospects, and uh, I think we both agree uh, brighter days are, are on the way. Well, they can't get worse, so we got okay. that going for us. <laughs> Sounds good. <man. laughs> Thanks, DT. Talk to you soon, brother. Bye-bye.